Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for this week, Niall. Hey, I thought you guys didn't see, but I did trip. Uh, as I was coming over to the microphone here, so that's just that's my adorably klutzy uh, intro into this episode of the show. And if you're listening to us every morning, maybe you've fallen in love with our voices. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I can verify that I do not look like Kate Moss, uh, although maybe the passing resemblance to uh, Pete Doherty, who of course in the, was her very famous boyfriend, for all the wrong reasons in the mid-2000s. And I can say that her dresses suit me. <laughs> yeah, I'd look good in her frock here. Mm. Of course, they, they, this minute though, we're getting... if people are listening to this and for some reason haven't seen the film, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> the in joke to be even more confusing if they just listen to a random episode of this, having not seen the film, not knowing anything about us or the show. Why they would, I don't know. But if you're lost, just I don't know. Just go into a dark room, clench your fists, and remember one place you've been before. In fact, that's the question. When they go back, does he come out of? any dark room that he thinks of, or does he ha- always come out of the same place as he goes in? I don't think it's any, it's any dark room, isn't it? I think he's in a couple of different places. I think at one point he's just in like a dark bedroom at one point. Well, he, he never transports to somewhere else, I don't think, that we see. Hang on. Weird thing. I've I don't just, know if he can, but he never does. I've just realized some, yeah, because when he chases after her later, he runs to the blind cafe. Which, if you really think about it, it's a dark room. Couldn't he have just appeared there? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That might freak the blind waiters out. (laughs) Oh, that'd be be a a weird note to end on. Something's changed in the room. There was a guy who was at one point in time and space, and now he's at a different point in time and space. (laughs) But yeah, but if he comes out there, has he always been there? Well, and their whole conversation in the restaurant, every line he could have been just like, I want to say that again. And he just backs us three seconds. <laughs> I have to say a testament again to Richard Curtis that he fought the temptation of like, oh, he needs to go back in time in the street. Oh, he nips into a police box. There's just there's a retro police box <laughs> nearby just to do it. Just to be like, ah, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> there is one in London now. I don't think it's been there for a while, but there is one now, like in the center of somewhere. Oh. Which a lot of people really like. I think it's London. I don't know. I could be wrong. There is some police box somewhere in the country that I've seen someone once take a photo. <laughs> oh, have you guys? Well, seen there's, the... there's one in Burbank near me, but it's a prop. Have you guys seen the TARDIS on Google Maps? Oh yeah, yeah. The that, that was years ago, obviously. Yeah. But That's a, you can actually go inside. And up... stuff. Yeah, has that been updated? Oh, it must have been that because they've got a, they've got a new TARDIS. I guess I'd have to. Got to check. <laughs> TARDIS Google Maps. Does anyone remember? I assume none of you will actually know what the address was. <laughs> I'm surprised. Everywhere. I ah, yes. <laughs> 338 Earls Court Road. Let's do this. And it is London. There we go. So do we assume that at least the police box actually is there? I think that, that, that would think that be a added? good, yeah, that would be a good hook to have in. It's like, you know, there's an actual physical police box that's in London, in this spot. But of course you can go inside and we've done a whole big interactive thing. 
Are there other Easter eggs like that on Google Maps, or is it just one of those strange things that... I know there's random labels on Google Maps, like the hedge from Halloween is marked on Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> so you imagine you're the, you're the guy who owns that house with the hedge from Halloween, and you're like, I want to put in a wall there. <laughs> and then you'd have, like... People, <laughs> yep, so yeah, it has to be, like, oh, that would be, like, well, this is a cultural landmark. You can't get rid of the hedge. <laughs> It's like, I hate the hedge. I have to go out and freaking trim it every day. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> It'd be like my annoyance with, with About Time and the fact that they've you know, the rooms are actually completely different in Tim's house. And it's like, surely you'd just keep them. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, in uh, About Time. About Time. You thought we'd have met. Uh-huh. Here we actually meet the time traveler's wife. Here she is. Wandering <laughs> on out. She got new bangs, apparently, as well. <laughs> right, so I'll just read some of the dialogue. Hi. Hi, where's, where's, she and Jay just, she took him to, I don't know, right, oh well, uh, I guess I'd better, um, uh, would, uh, would it be very wrong if I asked you for what, your number? No, just in case I ever, you know, had to call you about stuff, okay, I, 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 Richard Kurtz is so good at awkward exchanges, <laughs> it's, I mean, I know this is the whole point of a meet cute, but it's just, he does good meet cutes. <laughs> Well, yeah, it wasn't clear from your reading there, but she's the one who says stuff at the end of the sentence. Yeah, sorry, I left the pause and didn't, yeah. yeah. I should do different voices. I'll do my uh, my British <laughs> voice and my American woman voice. That's the thing uh, you talk about Richard Curtis meet cutes, no. though, because, like, this one's quite good. Like, I'm on board for this, because it feels honest and real. And, and it's technically the second meeting. Yeah, but then I, I would <laughs> say, like, the worst meet cute. four meet cutes in the film. <laughs> I would say that's, like, the worst meet cute I've ever seen is in... This is Martin McCutcheon and Hugh Grant in Love Actually, which is, of course, Richard Curtis did that as well. And then when I watched that, and you can say, well, Love Actually is not supposed to be a realistic interpretation of anything ever. But like that that scene where, like, oh, she's accidentally swearing in front of the hunky new prime minister and stuff to me is just, this is awful. I don't, I don't mind it, to be honest, but his story isn't the one I'm invested in the most. Why couldn't we get a full film of, I've forgotten his name. The little boy and Joanna. Like, that's the best story in Love Actually, right? Yeah. Like, and his relationship with Liam Neeson. Like, that is, like, I think Richard Curtis just said he had so many ideas, he just wanted to put them all together into one film. It's like, I want to see all ten different films. Mm. I mean, the whole Martin Freeman, Joanna Page thing would be a very odd feature film. <laughs> and also, what, what do you call him? The BT adverts guy. He's him clearing off to America. It's like, I don't think that would work as a movie nowadays. <laughs> like, that seems like a very dated kind of thing, but. It's just like, it's just a lad going off to get laid in America. Oh, Chris Marshall, yeah. yeah that's... Have you guys seen My Family, the sitcom Chris Marshall was in? No. Oh, that is such a good sitcom. And incidentally, as a big fan of that, I emailed Chris Marshall's agent about the charity that my family worked with, and I was like, it's a chance he could send like a signed picture, because I know he did like Death in Paradise and things like that. Like, could he sign something for us that we'd be able to like, you know, auction off? And out comes in the post, his actual signed shooting script for Love Actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> And we haven't managed to auction that yet, so that's in my house, and I don't know why I haven't just picked it up and read it. <laughs> Incidentally, if any of our listeners have a lot of money and want to give it to a community centre charity and are a big fan of Love Actually, please email in. We'll, we'll, we'll say you the script. But that's, I, I was surprised by the number of people I could just contact and ask for signed pictures to auction. Rowan Atkinson, for mm. one. Although, actually, I already had one, because I invited Rowan Atkinson onto my podcast once via his agent, and they were like, he doesn't do interviews anymore. I was like, any chance of a signed picture? They were like, sure. And got it like a day later in the post oh. it's a lovely signed picture 
the identical picture to what they sent as an auction off. So I guess it's just one that he's like signs loads of copies of. Well, is, he again though, Rowan Atkinson used to be such a Richard Curtis staple. I'm surprised. I wonder if it was a yeah, deliberate thing that he's not here. But they thought it'd be distracting if he showed up because like. I guess everyone here is kind of like, you kind of blend into like, oh, this is completely unique to, it's not going like, oh, there's Hugh Grant, or there's the, the usual, the usual suspect showing up. They could have been in the play. Yeah, they were all like pretty small scale actors at this point. I mean, Bill Nye was probably the most well known yeah. at that point, and he's still not too big, and it's enough to make you instantly like him as well. I don't know, maybe as well, because Rowan Atkinson is quite, like, I don't I love his work, but he's very broad comedy. I think this might be a little more of like a deft hand. Have you guys seen Maigret? Seen what? What? Sorry, Maigret. No, I haven't. He plays like the detective and like is it Agatha Christie or someone? Like it's just a completely serious thing with Rowan Atkinson. I've caught glimpses of it on TV, and it's automatically funny because you just hear Rowan Atkinson saying words, and you're like, ah, it's comedy. Mm. It's like no, it's not. (laughs) It's like yeah, I don't think it worked for me. He did the thing in like way years ago, like the Thin Blue Line, and I remember at one point he just has to say the word stew. Like, someone's made him a stew, and he's like, ah, yes, stew. <laughs> it's just like, it's him, grown accent, have to deliver that word. It's like, oh, right, stew's a funny word now, apparently, because because of the way he delivers it. He just has... I mean, he was he was my favourite thing about The Tall Guy, mm. which is completely based on Richard Curtis's relationship with Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. Richard Curtis was the straight guy to Rowan Atkinson's stand-up comedian, and apparently they just sort of agreed. Apparently, like, Rowan Atkinson in that film, I can't remember where I heard this, so I could be completely wrong... Rowan, if you're listening, come on the show and prove us wrong. But I, I, I believe <laughs> the Rowan Atkinson believed that so much that how his character is in The Tall Guy is so close to how he can come across in real life that he thought no one would believe that he's that bad if he played a part of him being that mm. bad. Like, no one would believe that he'd be so stupid as to play the unlikable guy if he is the unlikable guy. I'll read the rest of the lines. Would you... It's Mary. Mary. Okay. I thought this phone was old and sh- but suddenly it's my most valuable possession. You really like me. Even my frock. And then we, we end there. And that is... Uh, I mean, obviously she gives the phone and he, he gives out the number. That's the thing, actually, now, looking at the phone he gives her, because phone technology has, has advanced so rapidly. So quickly, It's yeah. hard to tell now, in 2013, is this a good phone, or is this, like, supposed to be set in, like, 2005 or something in this scene? Well, do you remember in 2010... The Doctor Who episode, The Eleventh Hour, whenever I watch it, it always shocks me when Matt Smith pulls out the phone and like, ah, this isn't a normal phone. This is a video phone. Mm. It's just like, ooh. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, this point, um, yeah, too, cause this is a mere, not even quite seven years ago now, but it's like, yeah, this looks, this phone looks ancient in comparison to what things we have nowadays. I think I should phone this number. It's probably a fake number, but... You guys find I'm out it's actually good. Richard Curtis's number or something. It's like, oh, damn it, I knew I should have well, house... in there. The house in Notting Hill is Richard Curtis's house, or at least the door. So is. we know where he lives, and now we have. Or a maybe storm. it's that uh, <laughs> Bernard guy who stole his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, now's the way to find out. I'm pretty sure it's a fake number, like because like, there must be just a bank of fake numbers. Let's find out. The number it... you have called is not recognised. No. Please check the number. If you need help, call the Thank operator. For that. I was terrified as maybe it's a joke. What, sorry? I was hoping it was a joke, and she'd be like, "If you need help, go into a dark place." Uh, oh. <laughs> I could, I could try and play it again and find out. <laughs> well, no, I assume that's the... Yeah. Well, you should, I don't uh, think often you call. Like, About Time had that level of like viral marketing. <laughs> where the, the... The, yeah, the people would... <laughs> I do remember, actually, that when we were filming Unstable, we, we filmed quite a lot of scenes in a subway tunnel where there's a lot of graffiti. And there was like 
someone's phone number in the background. It was one of those, like, for a good time, <laughs> call this. And we noticed it was in the background. And the guy who was my lead actor, he was like, before we film this, let me check if that's a real number. And then it started ringing. And it was like, ah, all right, never mind. Then he just changed a digit or something. But did he have a good time and then at the he end, was... though? Like, after, after they picked up? <laughs> and then he was going to say, like, let's let's black it out in post. And it's like, now nah, you know what? Let's just change the camera angle a little bit. I'm not going to sit back in editing trying to like, blank out a number. How much business you could have you made for that person, though? Like, they're, they're praying someone's going to put that number on film and people are going to try it. I, I, I would love it, right? Because of the amount of graffiti art that's, like, in there in the tunnel. I'd love it if someone who was behind some of the graffiti art tried to sue me for copyright. <laughs> It'd be amazing. I vandalized that wall. It's my it's my credit. Although they've actually yes. actually in thinking about that now though, I guess Tim does say like, oh, this phone's is a bit, but now it's oh, my most. So maybe yeah. he's aware. Yeah. Like, oh, this phone is like ancient. Like to, to be fair, until last year, we still had a flip phone as like a backup if any of our phones mm. broke. Although we never used it, <laughs> but we still had it. I actually, like, my last, the Android phone I had prior to the one I have currently, finally officially died the other day. So it was, mm-hmm. it was on its last legs, but I like, I felt like I was, like, friggin' Tony Stark or something for a bit, because I was like, oh, I had, like, two phones now. This one doesn't quite work, but it works enough. So I was able to do two things in two different friggin' phones at the same time. And then now it's finally just like, yeah, it just will not turn on anymore. I'm just like, oh, it's a, I feel the loss all over again. I'm like... Just to call back to the point that we made earlier, or this is, I don't know where the thoughts just came to me, about like the actors and how a lot of them are little-known actors at this point. The fact that we've got Richard E. Grant and Rich Griffiths in for that tiny bit to play professional actors, yeah, mm-hmm. like that works because they are—they might as well have been playing themselves, yeah. <laughs> themselves really. There is kind of the thing too, like in a post Rise of Skywalker world, when you see that scene, you're kind of expecting. Richard E. Grant to just turn around and just blast Donald Gleason off the screen or something. <laughs> like, okay, back back to the movie. <laughs> now it's just about Richard E. Grant for some reason. I because of the number of references that are going to come up on this show, I might as well start saying now before the continued references that you guys know what you're talking about with Star Wars. I know. <laughs> okay. I've I, I've watched like the original six. A few times, the number of times my dad's tried to get me to like it. Original Even that, that's that's a good... Well, no, I know the original trilogy are obviously better than the... But I don't know what else to say as to the first (laughs) So a lot of people will be like, there's Um, only three Star Wars movies, really, all right? (laughs) (laughs) They're the only three I enjoyed, the slightest bit. (laughs) But, like, I I understand why people like them, but for some reason it just doesn't work. It's becoming more and more apparent, though, as the years go by, like... Even a lot of people have beef with like Return of the Jedi, so it's like there's Star Wars is such a huge franchise, and there's only two films in that franchise that people universally actually like, and the, the, even in yep. the third one, people are like, oh, I hated that one. I was like, yeah, but it still keeps going. You can't stop the damn thing. <laughs> but it's like, well, it's only two of two of twelve films that people will all admit to enjoying. What? What is there anything on visuals at this point for this scene? I mean, we've got well, a number. No, we which covered the phone. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually even read out what the number is. The number is 0770090375. I might make note of that number, because if I know it's a number that's not real... You can you can use it as an you Easter egg. You'll use it in your things, things, yeah. yeah. I, I, the thing is, uh, I, I, I felt that it was like... I guess maybe because she does say, oh, she was going to wear one of Kate Moss's dresses. I find the, the, the end line <laughs> where she says, oh, even my frock, it seems very odd to me. Like it's, I feel like it was part of a joke that was cut out or something. Like, cause what? 
frock. Because yeah. yeah, why she call it a frock? It's a dress, but she's calling it a frock in a kind of weird way, like like it's supposed to be funny. And it's like, was was this in reference to something, or is it just to kind of make it? It's a bit awkward because. Or maybe it's also they've had a lot of conversation we haven't heard. Yeah, yeah. Right, but did they film it? Is it something we might have been able to see? Anyway, I guess it's time to move on to our special minute. Minute 16. Uh, that's a Margot Robbie yeah, minute, right? Yeah, I, was, I, was like, I, was, I, I forgot she was in the movie until I rewatched it. It was one of those things of like, when I first saw the film, I was like, oh, that's Margot Robbie. She's she's working her way up in the world. Because I think at that point, it's like, oh, I'd seen her in like Wolf of Wall Street or something. And of course, now watching yeah, it years later, came out like just after this film did. Yeah, yeah. but watching it now, it's just like, but yeah, that's Mar- international superstar Margot Robbie in a bit yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I, I again have to ask though, and this is one of the things that you know, not, the... not as much of a bit part as Big Short, in all fairness, <laughs> but not as like uh, not sure. to drag us back into like Doctor Who territory, but like we've mentioned the fact, like, so Rachel McAdams features as the sole American in the Brit- in the Richard Curtis movie, and she's allowed to keep her American accent. Margot Robbie, yeah. Australian actress, has to has to put on a British accent for this for some reason. Oh, yeah, I think we discussed this on on the minute. It's weird because yeah. she's a she could just she's be a cousin as well. Like she could have been Australian. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Like oh yeah, she's come all the way from Australia. Of course she's staying for like two months or whatever. Because why would she? You know she's come a long goddamn way. <laughs> you don't just stay there for a weekend. Of course you're going to spend several weeks there. So yeah, yeah, it does seem odd that she spend two months in Cornwall. Like, when she does still live in England, like, yes, it's... I mean, yes, I go on holiday to places in England, but not for two months. Like, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, it, it seems like quite an odd length of time for someone who's living in the country, because England is a country which you can travel basically across in a day. So they could go to a day trip in where she lives, <laughs> assuming she lives in... But you can do these discussions would have had to happen, because like, it's one of those things that, you know, alluding to Doctor Who there, but like... You know, David Tennant, Scottish guy. Yes, put on, and then Peter Capaldi. Yeah, and Capaldi just got away, like, oh, I'm not putting on an accent for this. <laughs> so. But in all fairness, David Tennant and Margot Robbie are really good at their British accents. Yeah, to be fair, she actually is. Like, haven't seen her, her Harley Quinn accent sort of comes and goes. But she's very consistent with this one, thankfully. But again, though, Harley Quinn's a much broader character, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's supposed to sound cartoony. Donald's accent as well. We haven't talked about that. Mm. Oh yeah, because he yeah he is a he's Irish. Like Donald Gleeson is like oh he's yeah he's a very very Irish guy when the when you see him interviewed and stuff. It's so weird. It's not quite as as jarring <laughs> as uh, Saoirse Ronan because like she's insanely <laughs> Irish. Like she's like you can't believe the accent that comes out of her. It's so so thickly Irish and stuff. But I will actually recommend to people though if you want to see something that will probably endear Donald Gleeson to your hearts because it was just like oh my god I just feel so much for the guy. There's an Irish talk show called The Late Late Show uh, that I saw him interviewed on like one time when I was back visiting my dad. Okay. And, you know, Donald Gleeson's on stage and he's just, you know, flogging whatever he's had out at the minute. They start mentioning like, oh yeah, so you, you know, you grew up here and you went to this school and stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, talking about like, oh, the, the drama teachers and stuff. And he's like, oh, there's a lot from here, but, you know, a lot of love there and stuff. And she's like, well, the host is like, well, your drama teacher's in the audience at the minute. And just seeing Donald Gleeson going like, what, what, what do you mean? And then, yeah, right enough, they have his secondary school drama teacher. It's just out there in the audience. <laughs> and they're like, come on up on stage. And she goes up and sits next to Donald Gleeson. And she, she's just running the interview now. She's answering all the questions. 
And Donald Gleason immediately melts into like a fourteen year old boy. He's just sitting he's just <laughs> sitting like a little kid with next to a teacher not knowing what to say. And he's just so sort of slightly embarrassed and so kind of like I don't wanna not call her Miss because I called her Miss for so long and yet now I'm an adult and all like it just feels you feel for him so much because like, oh I'll be there too if you were just thrust next to this teacher that you had for years. And you're just like, I don't know where to look anymore. Like it's so it's so awkward. She was a figure of authority in my life for so long. And now we've been interviewed on stage together. It's great. I highly recommend people look it up. But I think it is it's almost like a Pavlovian kind of response of just like now it's just instinctively in you. That like it's spent too long looking up to this person and treating him with all this like layers of additional respect and whatnot and titles and all this kind of thing it's like it can't it'll never go away it's just like i'll be friggin 50 mm. and i was still feel the need to call these people sir i know i'm gonna find it i'm not gonna find it weird when i get to college in september because all of my college is it all of my college teachers are just known by their first names and i'm gonna find that so odd. yeah but you have to ask like with it within minute 16 though because again, actually, in talking about like super relatable moments in this fairy tale movie <laughs> that Richard Curtis has made, like, because this is very relatable to me, like the fact that he's got right. So he he tried a thing, and then he's gone. All right, that didn't work. You know, in in trying to woo like you know someone he's attracted to, to then go back and he's like, right, I'm going to try a different tact and go for the exact you know the thing she indicated she wanted, and then to find out no, that didn't work either. Because it's like, I've been there. Like, you you try certain, like, oh, you know, you know someone likes this and someone doesn't like that. And you try and each watch whatever way. And then whatever route it is, you're just like, no, no, that's not going to. And you're just like, oh, it's, but what am I doing wrong and stuff? But, but where, where did you guys actually land when you recorded this minute? Like, do you think it was a good idea to have, to have tried on the last night? Or would you have supported his whole... The, well, this this uh, you know re- reboot version of it where it's like I'll oh, try to try midway through the summer to to, to get something going on. Um, I, I think going back yeah. and trying again was good. What what I wondered is since this is midway through, did he already try the first night? Did he already try like a weekend? How many times did he do this before he oh, so you, gets to the narrative? The narrator is like, I tried once, it didn't work. Move, like, so you on. just have an inbuilt trust now, Robert, or distrust of all things of like, this guy must have had to live like 10,000 lifetimes now. Like, you've, you've watched yeah. Groundhog Day too much. Like, I, I won't uh-huh. trust that this is the literal first time that he's done this. He must have done it about 2,000 times before this. This is a month in, he's done it 30 <laughs> times. The thing is, though, because... I felt I felt his his like all right the last night that made sense to me, but like it does seem like well if he if he tried this and then struck out at the beginning of the summer, that's gonna be awkward the entire way through the summer. So I was I was yeah, firmly last, team last like oh yeah last night makes sense idea. to me or at least the last week. Well, he could always just go back to right before he screwed it up on the first night, like an hour earlier, and yeah, fix it. Yeah. Or like if he does last night. Add go back in time first and add him responding flirtatiously to a couple of bits she does so she knows it's leading up to it. I mean, let's be honest, she knew it was leading up to it anyway. Yeah. Like, Kit Kat warned yeah. her. She's been flirting with him all summer. Mm-hmm. He was never going to stand a chance apart from later on when he somehow does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an odd and weird thing. But I, I, yeah, so I mostly sent you this minute because it's like Tim asking out a girl again and I thought I'd be clever and we can compare mm. the two, maybe. Yeah, and I think the main two is if we do look at Tim 
being the narrator of this and him telling it to us, Margot Robbie is just the attractive girl, whereas he's matured at this point in order to have the personality and the things of Mary in order to be able to tell us, you know, yes, yeah, she tripped, but she was pretty. She had a frock, but she looked like a squirrel, yeah, you know, yeah. these kind of yeah. things. Well, and also in the reality of the what we see, assuming the narrator's right, with Charlotte, he goes overboard. He gives the long speech, but Mary is just like, might I have your number? Yeah. You know, he's he's yeah. doing it more like a mature. And adult. maybe it's because we aren't introduced. We're introduced to Rich McAdams in the complete opposite way. We don't get him looking at, as you said, when the when we first see Margaret Robbie come in, the camera starts on her legs, and mm-hmm. so we don't see her first. <laughs> you know, we hear no. her first, which is probably where the main big difference is. I've just looked. She's at the not time. a physical object. Yeah, I've just looked at the time. Gonna have to go straight on to our next segment if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, no uh, Niall, if you had to travel back in time to any point in your life and either relive it or change it, what situation and part of your life would you choose to? Uh, thinking about that, like, not when they get into like anything too deep or anything. Like, oh, what have I done with my life? Kind of <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, the one big thing, like, I would actually genuinely like, oh, I should have done that years and years back. They were filming Captain America, the first Captain America in Liverpool when I lived there. I was still live in Liverpool, but I was currently living. I was living in Liverpool at the time when they were filming it. But I had recently got a job uh, that I only lasted a couple of months in. Uh, about uh, well, I was working in a care home and stuff, and they only had a certain amount of holidays you were like allowed to take. And I would have had to use them to go home for Christmas. And I had the choice of, like, I could have been, because my friend Gaz, he's in the film as an extra, and I could have been there with him, because we're both, like, at that point, we're both part of the same extras agency. And he's still regales you stories of, like, oh, friggin' yeah. Which agency is that? I'm not too sure, actually. I have to look up the, <laughs> I have to look up the email, actually. It's been a long time since I've been with them. Because I'm thinking that Liverpool's only a couple of hours away from me, so it's a chance that you were part of one of the agencies that I'm looking into well, at the moment. It could have been, actually, yeah. But I do actually know a friend of mine, uh, Jimmy, he's, he's, he actually might still be in with the chance because they were filming The Batman there. A lot of pictures outside like St. George's Hall stuff of like big placards saying Gotham City PD and stuff. Jimmy, he lost out on being an extra in The Batman before the outbreak. But I imagine post-COVID-19, when they come back to film the rest of it, he might actually get the, he might be able to take them up and be an extra in, in the movie. I feel so sorry for the guy who was the lead in my film Unstable because he was telling me that just before the outbreak, March was going to be the first month wherein he was working on a different TV and film project, like, every day. It was going to be his oh, big chance man, to, like, yeah. make it big. Mm. He was booked onto, like, so many BBC oh, shows and films terrible, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, basically, oh, my, my, my regret is that I had the option, like, you can use these days off they give you for this new job to either go be an extra in Captain America and have that as a thing you can just, a thing you can plop out on the table whenever you want. Or you can... You, Put it on your CV, can Yeah, you? yeah. It just could have been, like... Because Gaz is in the movie. He's like, one, you can freeze frame. Go, like, there he is, right there and stuff. Yeah, all these great stories. Like, oh, yeah, we're at friggin' Chris Evans. Came and sat and at lunch with the with the crew and stuff. He was, like, a very personable fellow and whatnot. And I, I instead chose, like, no, nah, I guess... Like, I, you know, at the time, I was like, I guess I better just use that those holidays to go home for Christmas and stuff. And now, so many Christmases later, where it's just like, yeah, you go home for Christmas every year and it's fine and stuff. It's like... I could have just taken that one time. So, Niall, any upcoming projects that you can 
promote the heck uh, out of Well, yeah, I've got the ongoing project here. It's been tearing on for, for quite a while now uh, of Batman. I thought you going to say off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still here. We're still Three doing hours. the show. <laughs> no, no, Batman. It's, of course, a show that uh, I co-host with uh, my friend John, where we... Uh, broken down and analyzed the Batman films from 1989 onwards, one minute at a time. We've got two seasons in the can, a bunch of different hiatus episodes, where we've like looked at the, all the movies of Prince, etc., etc. We're deep, deep into Batman Forever, which is bizarre, because it feels like we started it like two days ago. But like, yeah, we're nearly at the end of that movie, and then uh, we're... We're a quarter of the way through this, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, of course, we're going to be staring down the barrel of uh, Batman and Robin, so I have to look at that minute by minute. But, uh. Uh, is it bad to say that Batman and Robin is the only Batman film I've watched? Oh, really? The only one you've ever seen? Oh. Yeah, I'm not really a superhero kind of guy. I liked it, but I kind of like that that campiness. Well, I know you, you might actually, like, the uh, only person who's come close to saying something like that was uh, Liz Whittaker, who I think she says Batman and Robin's the only Batman movie she actually likes. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's a, that was a, a I'm, not even, I'm trying to think whether I saw it all the way through if I didn't I definitely wanted to because I've never been like attracted to the whole like superhero genre I've tried it a few times now we're in quarantine I'll probably give it a go mm. again because they're so popular Marvel and DC stuff and it doesn't work I've seen Suicide Squad and once again people don't like that I didn't mind it I think it's just the campiness that I quite like <laughs> well that's the thing like I like it's it's like the Nick Cage film to the nineties, you know, stuff like Face Off. It's like they're not, it, they're kind of weird, and you can pull them apart in the simple fact that they've got completely different body types. Mm. <laughs> Nick Cage and John Travolta, but it's fun. It's camp, and that's I fine. I imagine you you probably enjoy Batman Forever onwards then, because they they are just full on campy. There's a bit of dark, but there's there's a, a campy exhilarance to them. The Tim Burton movies are—they're excellent, but they are like they're oddities in, in in the Marvel era, where it's like they just gave this kooky guy just kind of free reign, particularly in Batman Returns, where you're like, <laughs> how did this get made? Like, as like, and again, that's what Warner Brothers were asking themselves afterwards. We're like, what the hell do we do? We just get let we just let Tim Burton make whatever Batman movie he wanted, and now we got this bile spewing mutant pervert penguin and this BDSM esque <laughs> Catwoman and stuff. It's, it's phenomenal it's a great great movie but it's very very strange in the modern era to consider that that was like a thing they marketed to children it's like yeah this guy made a batman movie here it is it opens with a mutant baby been thrown in a sewer and stuff by Wee herman it's crazy but uh, i'll also uh, plug if i may as well uh, for people yeah, looking into this podcast because uh, it just reminded me of, a, of an earworm that i absolutely loved my entire life that was written by richard curtis uh, from Not the Nine O'Clock News, uh, the song Nice Videos, Shame About the Song, uh, which is a real, real <laughs> 80s, early 80s new wave song. I haven't watched enough Not the Nine O'Clock News, but I need to follow up oh, Shame About yeah, the Song. Yeah, oh, it's great. Okay. It's really, like, it's very, very late 70s, early 80s kind of thing. And he he wrote that. Apparently, he did, but I, I, yeah. looking into it, I was like, who specifically wrote it? And uh, I think I found some website at one point that was like, Oh, Richard Curtis wrote all the songs for no, that, that the 9 o'clock news, including that one. I think the only Not the 9 o'clock news thing I've seen was the sketch they did imitating the Life of Brian controversy. Oh, yeah. Really <laughs> oh, not the 9 o'clock news. But yeah. it was, like, it obviously be very, very dated now because it's, you know, kind of dealing with topical things from the 70s. But fantastic, fantastic yes, sketch show. Robert, where can listeners find you? Oh, I don't know. California. <laughs> No, let me in your home for the next few months. I'd imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
till the fall. Lemmingdrops.com for links to all my uh, podcasts and my blog, Groundhog Day Project. And well, Facebook, Robert E.G. Black, if you want to hear me post random things about bad movies occasionally. And movies that you don't always tell us what they are. <laughs> exactly. So good. And of course, we've got our Cock and Bull episode, which will maybe be out by this point. I think we've promoted it for the past couple of weeks. It, it would be out before this, probably. Yeah. Well, I hope so. This is, soon. what, week five? So this is about seven weeks from now? Yeah. So, hopefully. That was another one, though, because I, I remember going to see... The Cock and Bull st- story was a movie that came out. Over here, it was quite big, because it was Steve Coogan. And people were like, ooh, Steve Coogan's got mm. a movie out. And then I went to see it in the cinema, and then promptly forgot it even existed. <laughs> Until I saw that you were doing a podcast about it. And I was like, that's right, that was a... That was well, a movie. That was a... To be fair, my podcast is not a Oh, well, yeah, of course. No. <laughs> Suitably That's so, I guess. the joke. I mean, yeah, you talk about that as like a forgettable film. <laughs> like, <laughs> the thing is, right, people look at About Time as pretty forgettable, which is weird. Like, a lot of people see it for the first time, forget about it, and then only appreciate it the second time. Mm. And I've noticed that as like a common thing. Oh, and I'm trying to figure out how to get people to watch it twice. <laughs> the thing, though, like, saying that, like, I, I know people... I've mentioned about time to them, and they have been, all of them have been very enthusiastic about it, and been like, "I love that film and stuff." And again, that's yeah. why I'm still so shocked that, like, looking it up and like online is like, yeah, 55 percent Metacritic review. Like, what, where, where were these bad reviews? I didn't see any of them at the time, but apparently they're out there. Apparently, a lot of yeah, a lot of people just had issues with it, ignoring the rules of time travel. Like, like, Dave Pals apparently wrote 96,000 reviews of About Time where he was to bring down that rating. <laughs> I'm going to message Dave like tonight or tomorrow and try and yeah, get yeah, him. Don't, don't tell him I said anything, though, because then he'll be, I'll, I'll have him on my ass about it for, for him having to actually watch the movie that he really doesn't want to watch. <laughs> In fact, Robert, you'll probably be better to message Dave than I do, because I don't think I've ever <laughs> spoken to him before, so it'd probably seem more... I'm assuming you've probably done things with him before. Yes. I, I, I don't think I've even got him on my Facebook, so it probably seemed less random from you, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, listeners can find me. Twitter, Llama underscore Bottle Zero. Instagram, Ginger Luke. Facebook, Luke Allen Film. Website is Luke Allen the KDK. So the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Two Men's About Time. Anyone got a good idea for how to end this episode? <laughs> trip <laughs> it's just I guess that the enough. microphone is just falling over <laughs> thank you so much for this episode and hopefully tune in next week that's what I'm you, you said about <sighs> British goodbye I'm thinking like what tally ho or something like that tally ho we haven't done tally ho thanks so much for this episode and we'll tune in tune in next week tally ho The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>